And now a word from our sponsors at Betterment. If you're listening to my show, you're looking for tips on how to work smarter, not harder. And let's be real, you're already working hard to earn your money, but how do you make sure that your money is working hard for you? Here's how. With a Betterment Automated Investment and Savings app, your money will go to work. They've got technology that will provide you with advanced tools, and they're built to help maximize your returns, not to mention your time. They have expert-built portfolios of low-cost exchange-traded funds. You know I love those exchange-traded funds. There's automated investing technology, and as part of that, automated rebalancing. Many of you have been asking about rebalancing, and it sort of feels like a hard thing to do on your own. With Betterment, easy peasy. They do it for you. Visit Betterment.com to get started. Learn more about high-yield cash accounts at Betterment.com. Investing involves risk, Performance is not guaranteed. Cash reserve offered through Betterment LLC and Betterment Securities. Betterment is not a bank. With Fidelity Wealth Management, a dedicated advisor can work with you on a comprehensive plan to help you reach your wealth's full potential. Plus, you'll have access to specialists in estate planning strategies. So you're not just growing and protecting your wealth, you're sharing it. More at fidelity.com slash wealth. Investment minimums apply. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSE SIPC. Welcome to the Jill on Money podcast. It's Saturday, September 18th. Oh boy, do we have a fun guest guests for you today. Um, I was just writing an article about them because we interviewed them and then I wanted to make them the focus of my Tribune article. Mark, I decided to call them the Oscar and Felix of retirement. You like that? That's pretty good. Uh, we have had Teresa Ghilarducci on the program before. She is so smart. She is an economist, a labor economist, and she really has been living her life to try to help Americans have better retirement plans. And she had co-authored a book called Rescuing Retirement with a guy named Tony James, who was like the Blackstone Group CEO. So it was sort of like a funny, strange bedfellow mix in that case. But now, oh my God, what happened? She has hooked up with Kevin Hassett. He was chairman of the White House Council of Advisors during the Trump administration. So we sort of have a left-leaning economist with a right-leaning economist. And together, what do they think? They think they've got a plan for retirement. So uh, without further ado, here is my interview with Teresa Ghilarducci and Kevin Hassett. Teresa, you're just the, you're trying to blow the horn, raise the flag, whatever metaphor we want to use about retirement. You've written books and you are trying to solve which problem specifically and why is it that Kevin's paper intrigued you? Since the beginning of my education, I have wanted to solve the problem that not everybody can retire in dignity. Um, I was helping my mother figuring out her life course after a divorce when I went to graduate school. And I even helped her, her union negotiate a pension plan. And I realized having a pension plan was her only chance um, to recover what she lost by being a divorced woman and would give her the kind of security to be kind of lower middle class and stay that way for the rest of her life. And so I never lost 
wanting to solve the problem that not everybody can view their whole life course in a dignified way. And pensions and having wealth is the way to do it. People can't live on just Social Security. It's a good base. It should be supported. But people need a pension on top of that. And so when I read Kevin's paper, it was clever, simple, really well done. And we had a meeting of minds as economists that the thrift savings plan that plan for federal workers could work for almost everybody else that doesn't have a plan. And so that one idea brought Kevin and us together to solve the problem I've been seeking to solve, that everybody needs to retire in dignity with some wealth on top of Social Security. Now, Kevin, explain the thrift savings plan to those folks who are listening who don't really are not familiar with it. Most people will know, okay, it's a 401k. There is a 403b if you're uh, maybe a teacher, a 457 plan if you're a municipal employee. What is it about the thrift savings plan for government workers that is so enticing as a as a way to help people save for retirement? Well, well, the thing that I found really exciting about the Thrift Savings Plan is that, you know, as a consumer of the economics literature, one of the things I've done is just notice over the years that uh, people have sort of figured out why it is that savings is so inadequate in the U.S. It, in fact, as an aside, I one of my, the chapters of my dissertation was about savings, and it's the last time I wrote about it because I decided no one's ever going to be able to figure out savings. Mm-hmm. But it turns out that like some Nobel caliber work has figured out that you know behavioral economics is really important for uh, figuring out why people save and why they don't, that people tend to want to get satisfied today, even though the the gain from saving for tomorrow could be really large. And, And the cool thing about the thrift savings plan is that this government, you know, bureaucracy produced a savings plan that takes advantage of all the latest cutting edge research about how people behave. And so what it does is it solves uh, the sort of procrastination problem by auto enrolling you to contribute the correct amount, about 5%. uh, And they auto invest in, you know, an index fund, which is really low cost, which is what you, you should do. Uh, and, and so they do all these things, which you could opt out of, but it turns out that people don't because once they're sort of signed up, then they figure it out and they stop procrastinating and they do it. And so the thrift savings plan has been profoundly successful at helping people build wealth. And it's been really, really successful for people at the bottom and at the bottom of the income distribution. And so it's something that is tried and true. We know it works. It's not that costly. And we know there's an enormous uh, wealth inequality in the country. And I think it's the best possible way to address it because we know it works. Teresa, can you just give us a quick history lesson for those uh, folks who are listening and they don't really understand that actually the 401k and this shift away from company-sponsored pensions to employee contributions, how that happened and what the effect of it has been. So in the ni- 1980s, we, we saw a shift from this traditional pension that people still have and like a lot. When we look at people who retire on a defined benefit plan, even if they don't have very much money, I'm thinking of a coal miner, a janitor, somebody who worked in the garment trades, they have enough money to stay above poverty and to kind of maintain their standards. They're, they're happier. They feel more secure. That money's going to last for the rest of their life. But despite that good feature that you have an annuity for the rest of your life and you have enough to supplement Social Security, that design went away. And what took its place is this kind of individual-directed, voluntary 
mostly commercial-based, for-profit-based system. And there are lots of reasons, ideological and political reasons, that happened in the 1980s. But the hope was that individuals would like an individual account. That's indisputable. People want individual wealth. And that employers, all the employers that didn't want to go through the hassle of a defined benefit plan, would create these simple 401k plans that everybody would, would get Um, something at work. Well, that part of the experiment completely failed. The percentage of employers that have pensions now is about the same as it was um, back then. Half of the workforce didn't have anything back then. Half of the workforce don't have anything right now. So that part of the experiment failed. The other part of 401k was that if we give individuals control over how to invest their money and a little bit of financial education, then they're good to go and they'll have a diverse portfolio, they'll keep the money in, and then they'll have enough money on the way out. That failed too, because they were investing in this hodgepodge of choices at their employer. Sometimes the employer gave them 70 choices. Um, If you didn't know anything, you put it in kind of cash, you know, or cash equivalents. And if you were a cowboy, you know, then you went into the brokerage. But both of those strategies gave you sort of a terrible return. And then you took money out when you left your job, or you wanted to remodel your kitchen, or you had to send your kids to school. I mean, you could take money out of your retirement plan even if it wasn't for retirement purposes. But Congress kept on piling on tax break and privilege um, on top of that. So the only people that really won from this 40-year experiment were people who had really high-paying jobs, employers that contributed quite a bit, they got the big tax break for it, and they had kind of stable lives. They maybe only had one spell of unemployment. They only had one divorce. You know, so... um, those people accumulated well, invested well, they had good advice, and then they had enough money you know, when they retired. That's about 7 to 10%. Mm. So the system has failed. It was this experiment and in individual control. And what I really liked about Kevin's paper was that he saw that the federal government had a much more evidence-based design. They got their people in, low, hot, middle, high-income employees, help them give them a choice of portfolios. You know, Jill, you've been talking about this on your show all the time. Index funds, a well-balanced fund, and then TSP gives a way for people to annuitize that in a way that's not exploitive. Now, Kevin, what is it that you learned in this process? Now, you come from the political world, and, you know, you there's a lot of pushback around reforming retirement. I mean, Teresa wrote a whole book or co-wrote a book called Rescuing Retirement. And I love this idea. And she was marching around trying to figure out how to save the system. It does seem like, and I'm a product of financial services, the industry is such a massive lobbying army and that uh, lawmakers just seem kind of, I don't know, like disinterested. Is that the best way to put it? Like they care in the big sense, but when it gets down to it, nothing really happens. So what's in the political process that holds up any reform of retirement? That's a great question. And I think that the way that I zeroed in on the answer was I started by looking at the current system, which is really hard to change. 
you know, as Teresa says, that it's really tilted towards the rich. And, you know, as a supply sider, you know, sometimes you don't, you know, hear me say words like that. But but in this case, it's just an economic reality that you get to deduct uh, your contributions into your 401k. And the benefit of that deduction is higher if you have a higher tax rate. And so the people with the highest tax rate, which are the richest people, get the biggest benefit. And moreover, you know, I think that with uh, catch-up contributions, the, the cap this year for 401k contributions, Teresa, correct me if I'm wrong, is $64,500. Yeah, yeah. I mean, $64,500, that's a lot of money, you know, and, 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 and all of that money gets sheltered against, you know, a, a top marginal rate that's, that's mm-hmm. going to be in the 40s if you're in New York City, right? And, and, and so it feels like we've got this retirement security system for people who are already secure. Uh, but if you're a person who's not taxable, you know, if you're a person living close to the poverty line, the value of, of that uh, you know, tax treatment is zero. You know, people want high marginal tax rates or, the, the, or politics has produced high marginal tax rates. And one of the ways to offset the potential harm from that that people have pursued is, you know, this 401k thing that sort of political realities have jumped in front of sort of sensible policy, I think. Uh, and so people who are worried about the negative effect of high marginal rates are, are happy to take the 401k, you know, dodge because they think it reduces the harm from the from. OK, but wait a second. Wait a second. High marginal tax rates. Tax mm-hmm. rates are about as low as they're going to be. This is the time to maybe do something considering tax rates are so low right now. I mean, it's insanity to me to think that, you know, you can make. 300 grand as a couple and your highest marginal tax rate is 24%. I mean, that's insanity. The point is just that, you know, and again, I don't want to litigate marginal rates, that the political system produced this thing where marginal rates are really important for deciding who's saving uh, or who's getting a, a tax subsidy for saving. And what Teresa and I are saying is the marginal tax rate should be kind of irrelevant. What should matter is that you can see that there's massive wealth inequality and that all that money you're spending on a tax break for the $64,500 uh, for the wealthy, if you took a little bit of that and used it to help people at the bottom you know, start to have a retirement fund, then it's amazing what you could accomplish in a small amount of time. We'll continue our interview and conclude it tomorrow with the Oscar and Felix of retirement. Uh, That is Teresa Gillarducci and Kevin Hassett. If you've got a financial planning question or any kind of financial question, just go to our website, jillonmoney.com, jillonmoney.com, and hit the contact button. It's very easy to do. Try to lift somebody up today. Grit, growth, grace. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Tomorrow. 